presented by DogNation.com. This is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I do not like being away from work. I enjoy doing the show. Now, listen, I'm very thankful to have a great family, very thankful to have time off. That's important, recharging batteries. But it's also a situation where I just love my job. I love being here and being a part of that, and I just think it's really fun. So I, I never leave the show, the kind of live version of the show, I never leave that without a whole lot of thought about what are we going to do in place of me while we're not here. And so today we think we have something really fun. I've told you about that already yesterday. We're going to introduce today, tomorrow, and Thursday. Then on Friday, we're sort of back to live in our normal format. But what we're going to call kind of a Dog Nation roundtable. It's a little bit like the old school cover four we've done in the past. The normal voices that you hear in this show on a regular basis, Jeff Sintel and Connor Riley, Mike Griffith. We're going to bring them on. We're going to have just to chat about Georgia football and some broader topics around college football in general. And we're just going to kind of see where it goes. I already know where it goes. We recorded this last week. I'm very happy with how it turned out and incredibly thankful for our friends like Jay Black and Kelly Manziel who helped us record all of this and our Dog Nation folks who gave really a lot of their time to be a part of it. I think it's going to be really good. And I think we're going to start with what I believe is a, is a really interesting topic. And that's what can be in store for Carson Beck here in what we think is going to be his final year in 2024. He said it's his last year. Technically, he'd come back in 2025. He's got you know COVID year, redshirt year if he wanted it, but he's not going to do that. This is his last year, one final run. And boy, there is a lot that could happen for Beck here this season. Georgia hasn't had a first-round quarterback since Matthew Stafford in 2009. This year, Beck could be that guy. Georgia's only had one Heisman finalist since 1992. It was obviously... Uh, Stetson Bennett at the end of the 2022 season. Beck could be another here this year, and based on the current posted odds, could be a guy that goes on to win the Heisman Trophy. Well, at least one of our Dog Nation team members, Connor Riley, believes those things can happen. In fact, he makes a very provocative comparison between Beck and another all-time great quarterback in the SEC. That stimulates, I believe, a really good conversation with our Dog Nation folks. We're going to hit that and other topics here on today's show. And we're going to come back on Wednesday and Thursday with an entirely fresh set of discussion points once again in sort of our Dog Nation roundtable format. I really think you're going to like this. We wanted to do a little something different with our pre-recorded shows, and that's what we think this is. So without further ado, I want to jump into this in just a moment. But prior to that, let me give a quick shout-out here to our friends at Precision Garage Doors. You know, they've earned a five-star reputation here in our market area. We talk about five-star recruits all the time. Well, Precision Garage Door has earned a five-star reputation because they're serving folks and providing that exceptional customer service in the Atlanta area all the time. And they're showing up on time. They're taking care of people that way. Their phones are also answered 24-7, ensuring that anytime you need to get in touch with them, you're able to do so right away. So whether you need like a garage door replacement, you need a brand new one, or you just need a simple repair, Precision Garage Door is Dog Nation's choice to get the job done. They're here with same-day service and anything else you might need. If it's just an estimate, they can help you out with all of that there too. Uh, and as I said, Georgia may be all the time you know, getting all these five-star recruits, but the five-star service folks, those, those are our friends there at Precision Garage Door. And the good news is there's a $29 service fee that's waived anytime you get a repair. So go ahead and check them out today. It's Precision Garage Door, Service of Atlanta, neighborly company. You can visit them online, precisiondoorgeorgia.com. That's precisiondoorgeorgia.com. Request a quote, get to know them. They'll take care of you for all your garage door 
needs. So for now, it's your Georgia football needs that we care about. Enjoy this first edition here on Dog Nation Daily of our Dog Nation Roundtable, talking about Carson Beck and so much else. And here on Dog Nation Daily, what an event this is, the first of its kind. Our entire Dog Nation team, or at least the ones that you most normally hear on Dog Nation Daily, participating in the Dog Nation Roundtable on Dog Nation uh, Daily here this week. I'm obviously taking a little time away from work. Uh, lucky to be able to spend some time with my family here. But it's my work family that we also get a chance to enjoy here over the course of the next few minutes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw out some of the topics at hand around Georgia football and the rest of the sport as we move towards the 2024 season. And we're just going to sort of see where it goes here. I'm lucky to have Mike Griffith and Jeff Sintel and Connor Riley here. We'll be hearing from them over the course of our uh, time here together. And I want to jump right into our, our first topic here today. And I, I think that we see Georgia in a little bit of a different type of, uh, I don't know, mindset than maybe uh, in a lot of other years in the Kirby Smart era because of the presence of a quarterback like Carson Beck, who's arguably going to get more attention to begin a year than almost any quarterback that uh, Kirby Smart has had. And really almost as much as any Georgia quarterback has had uh, probably here in the 21st century. So it's kind of a simple question here about the upcoming year for Carson Beck. What can he achieve in 2024? How high could the aspirations possibly be for him? And on this particular topic, if you don't mind, I want to start with Connor Riley because, Connor, you and I have spoken about this, and I think that of all the opinions about Beck that I've heard thus far during the offseason, I think you perhaps have – the most provocative take of all. So to kind of get us kicked off here, what do you think that Carson Beck can achieve in what is likely to be his final season here at Georgia in 2024? To quote Michael Jordan, uh, the ceiling is the roof. Uh, I think Carson Beck can be the number one overall draft pick in the 2025 NFL draft. I think he can be a national championship winning quarterback for Georgia. I think if he gets the statistical benchmarks, he can be a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback for Georgia, the first under Kirby Smart. And so I think with Carson, the big thing is just the improvements that you see quarterbacks consistently make from year one to year two as a starter. And the comparison that I've thrown out often is Joe Burrow, a guy who I think has a similar skill set to Carson Beck in terms of movement ability, in terms of arm strength, in terms of how he goes about winning. And you look at what Joe Burrow did that first year, and then there's a a very funny, well, it's not funny for Joe Burrow, he got absolutely walloped in the Fiesta Bowl against UCF at the end of his first year as a starter, and I believe that would have been 2018. And from that moment on, he was fundamentally a different quarterback and has now gone on to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL In that second year as a starter, you saw him make leaps and bounds to who he was as a quarterback. I think Carson Beck is a little bit farther along in his development compared to Joe Burrow. And obviously, Carson has a long way to go to reach what Burrow's ceiling was. But in terms of player prospects, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Beck has a Joe Burrow type season. I'm saying he's going to throw for 60 touchdowns like we saw Joe Burrow do for that 2019 LSU team. But in terms of the overall impact he could have on the sport, I think it is right there. Mike, how about you on that topic? Potential number one overall pick, potential Heisman Trophy winner, obviously leading Georgia to another national championship and drawing comparisons to Joe Burrow. Where do you land on that? Well, I mean, it's um, it's interesting. You know, Joe Burrow, uh, I thought Joe Burrow was probably a better runner when I think about how LSU handled Georgia in 2018. Really, to date, I think, you know, and I've been covering Georgia since 2018, 
that's really the only game I thought Georgia got physically dominated was it was LSU in Baton Rouge. Even the next year, it wasn't really about the physical domination so much as it was the receivers that LSU had. I don't think Carson Beck has the supporting cast that Joe Burrow had, and especially the receivers. I, I remember Kirby telling me before the 2019 game, he'd never seen receivers like LSU had that year. And when he says ever, he's coached a long time at, at Alabama and Georgia. And, and I think maybe that LSU receiving core, maybe the 2020 Bama receiving core uh, could rival it somewhat. But I don't see receivers like that for Carson. I don't have I don't see Carson having receivers like Joe Burrow had. I don't think Carson has the mobility um, that, that he hasn't exhibited that to me yet. Uh, I, I agree with Connor that if Carson Beck goes undefeated, uh, and Georgia wins a title or wins an SEC title when the Heisman voting takes place. I absolutely think he could win the Heisman. I think um, you saw that with Stetson Bennett. I mean, I didn't think Stetson was the best guy on his own team, but he was one of the five Heisman finalists because he was the quarterback on an undefeated Georgia team. So if Carson checks the boxes and has a great statistical year and is one of the, and Georgia is undefeated and wins the SEC, then I absolutely think he could win the Heisman. Uh, as far as being the number one overall draft pick, quarterbacks have great value. You see that. Uh, I'm not sure who else is going to emerge. I don't know what kind of year uh, Jalen Milrow is going to have, or even if he's going to be at Alabama. I don't know if he's a guy that you would say uh, could rival him. Jackson Dart, I, I guess, uh, I, you know, I hadn't really done a whole lot of prep on the Carson Beck Heisman uh, odds, although I know he's one of the top three or four candidates. But I would suggest to you that if you put Carson Beck at Old Miss, we wouldn't be having the same discussion. I think Georgia props Carson up. I think what Carson is going to be able to do will be determined largely on his supporting cast. Um, he's got to have receivers that get open. We saw that against Alabama in the SEC championship game when Ladd and Brock Bowers were at less than 100%. Carson looked more normal and got outplayed by Jalen Milrow in the SEC title game. Um, you know, so uh, I think the ceiling is high for Carson. I think he could win a Heisman Trophy. I think Georgia could win a national championship, but I'm pumping the brakes on the Joe Burrow comparison for now. Uh, Jeff, how about for you? And, you know, the, the topic comes up, well, comparing other quarterbacks. I mean, do you see another quarterback in college football for this upcoming season that you would say is obviously better than back? Where would you kind of rank back among the, the top quarterbacks in the sport right now? I mean, I guess I would put him like right at the tier, the top tier. <clears throat> and I guess my overall thoughts on Carson are kind of, I know we didn't intend it to be this way, but it's kind of a mixture, <clears throat> excuse me, it's kind of a mixture <clears throat> of what of what Mike had to say and also what Connor had to say. I kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit about Carson <clears throat> simply because I see him as the floor. Like, like Connor was talking about this ceiling. I see a floor here for Carson, and I think that's all SEC, all American. I can't push him into the limits of final five in the Heisman. I can't push him to number one overall draft pick. Part of that is a reason Mike described. Mike described that he doesn't have all American, all SEC type receivers around him. He's going to have a great pocket. He's going to have a great offensive line, but I just don't see that. I, I like the, the Carson Beck conversation to me. I think it's interesting because it's pedigree. Think about the last time Georgia had a secure starter coming back like Carson, and that was Stetson. But Stetson had skins on the wall. Stetson was a national champion. Stetson was a back-to-back -back 
championship game, bowl playoff series, uh, MVP, back-to-back games. That's a lot. But the difference is, is pedigree. Everybody looks at Carson and says he can be a first-round pick. Nobody looks at Stetson back then and said you could be a first-round pick. Not a lot of people even thought he could be a fifth-round pick. So I think it's just the tier of scouting where everybody looks at Carson and says that's an NFL quarterback. He's going to win a lot of games. You know he's going to win 11, 12, 13 games for Georgia. So he's going to be right in the shoot match. But you look at other offenses, you look at other other programs around the country. I can't – and listen, I I would gobble up a lot of Carson back futures – because I think he's going to play better and have better numbers than he did last year, even without a Brock Bowers. I think these transfer receivers are going to help. But I think I would want to pump the brakes a little bit and just say the floor for Carson still looks pretty good. And that floor for me is an all-SCC quarterback. Georgia hasn't had one of those in a while. And a guy that garners some true All-American recognition as well. Like Carson can indeed go to number one, top five draft pick, number one draft pick, Heisman and all that. But I think that takes two or three steps more of a leap than I feel comfortable making right now. Well, I think it's interesting, and Connor, I'll bring you back in this to sort of wrap up this discussion. The reason why I like the sort of you know hot take of all this is, is I actually don't think when you really start looking at it, it is all that much of a leap. As Jeff said, Georgia has had a Heisman finalist at quarterback. The idea that Beck could go the next step and win it, that's not a crazy leap necessarily when you look at how – the 2023 offensive production for Georgia was really in keeping with what it had done in 2021 and 2022. The other thing is, is that Beck came back for a reason. And that reason is, is that when you compare him to other top quarterbacks in college football, whether it be Quinn Ewers or, you know, guys like that, there aren't this list of guys who are obviously better. I mean, Ohio state got a transfer quarterback, Will Howard from, I mean, from Kansas state, that gives you an idea of, uh, of the dearth of, like truly proven elite quarterbacks that are out there. You can only compare Beck to his contemporaries, and when you do that, when you look at what Georgia's kind of had a recent track record of doing offensively, you know, the idea that Beck could take those steps and be the number one overall pick or win the Heisman Trophy, it's not my place right now to predict him to do that, but it's also not six degrees of separation from what Georgia's kind of already doing offensively, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, to Mike's point, you know, Georgia does have some questions in terms of weapons, but I think it's on Carson to elevate those around him. And that was something I don't necessarily know if he was able to do that this past season, but I expect him to do that this coming year. It's a big reason why he came back. And again, you see the leaps that quarterbacks so often make in their second year as a starter. No one had Jaden Daniels as a first round draft pick entering this season, much less a Heisman Trophy winner. But he goes out there and puts up an elite statistical season and ultimately wins the Heisman Trophy. I think we've seen in this sport enough now to know the value of having a quarterback who's been in a system for multiple years, much less one like Carson, who's now entering his fifth season at Georgia, is undeniable. And so to have a guy like that coming back for another season where he was an all-SEC quarterback last year earning second-team play, second team voting – So it's a guy who obviously has things to continue to build on. But when you look around the rest of college football, uh, Quinn Ewers hasn't exactly inspired a ton of confidence of late. There's, I think, understandably some questions about how Jalen Milrow is going to adapt, especially given how he played at times during the 2024 season or 2023 season, rather. You know, Shador Sanders is a new offensive coordinator and Pat Shermer. We'll see how things look there. For him out at Colorado, it, it, there are a lot of questions among who those top quarterbacks are. And, and Carson Beck, I think both has a proven track record compared to some of the other big names out there. 
while also still having, I think, room to continue to grow and improve in his second season as a starter for this program. Let me move on to another topic here for a moment. Obviously, college football fans, SEC fans in particular, have grown quite accustomed to having their league being treated as the tops in all of college football. It's the kind of thing that a lot of SEC fans take a lot of pride in. But 2024 sort of represents a year of change. In the SEC, that means no Nick Saban and a little bit of a new look for the league. In the Big Ten, the, the league that sort of rivals the SEC, it's four new teams coming into the league that were in the uh, Pac-12 most recently. The Pig Dens also got the reigning national champion in Michigan, albeit without Jim Harbaugh's head coach. And thus far, the most talked about team in the offseason has probably been the aforementioned Ohio State. So given all that, the the I think the motivation to win now for the Buckeyes, the fact that the championship uh, status kind of rests in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and the likes of Washington and Oregon coming in to the uh, Big Ten out of the Pac-12. Mike, do you think the SEC should still be considered college football's top conference, or is there a chance that that honor now rests, at least for now, with the Big Ten? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when we've seen the SEC have such dominance in the national championship game with the presence there. Uh, last year, a bit of an outlier, right, with Alabama, uh, their inability to get past Michigan and play for a national title. They kind of dropped the SEC flag. Not used to saying that. Um, you know, but the fact is, in the history of the four-team playoff, there was only four games that SEC teams lost to non-SEC teams in the playoffs, and Alabama was the team that lost all four of them, twice to Clemson, once to Ohio State, and once to Michigan. Um, it's a good starting point, I suppose, for a lot of people to, to make this argument. It's a good topic of discussion. You know, you just kind of go cross-section. You know, Ohio State, Georgia right now, I mean, that's probably a coin flip when you look at the outstanding offseason that Ohio State had outbidding Georgia for the best safety in the country. I think you would definitely make the argument that Ohio State did better, uh, landed more impact transfers than Georgia did. How many impact transfers does Georgia need? I don't know. But I would put Ohio State and Georgia on the same plane right now. Uh, I think Alabama and Michigan are in very similar situations. Uh, they met a year ago, very close game. Both teams replacing their head coaches, both traditional plowers, powers. I'm going to call that a wash. Um, I'm real high on Dan Lanning in Oregon, but I'm high on Texas too. Um, two new schools in the conferences. I'm going to call Texas and Oregon a wash. Um, speaking of wash, Washington, I'm going to put on the same level as LSU. So, you know, you play that game tit for tat all the way down Um you know, you start getting into those middle ranks and we start talking about teams like Old Miss and and or higher middle ranks, I should say, Old Miss and Tennessee, Missouri. Um, you know, who do we counter that with with the Pac-12? Maybe I guess USC. We'll see what they do with with Caleb Williams, maybe in Iowa, maybe at Penn State. Continue on down the ranks. Um, I just feel like outside of Vanderbilt, which is an abhorrible, embarrassing program that shouldn't be in the SEC and wouldn't be if they weren't in Nashville. Uh, I think the SEC is more competitive in the bottom half than the Big Ten is. And so for that reason, Brandon, and also the reason that SEC is going to continue to produce more NFL draft picks than any other conference in the country, uh, I'm going to continue to give the SEC a nod. But I don't think it's pronounced as it's been, and I don't think it's going to be as widely accepted as it's been because Michigan was able to topple Alabama in the most recent college football playoffs. Jeff, how about for you? Reigning national champs, bringing in some fairly sizable programs here, a lot of money coming in with the uh, TV deals. How do you sort of stack it up, the comparison between the SEC and the Big Ten right now for college football's future? Guys, I kind of look at it 
<clears throat> like the great social philosopher Biggie Smalls. Uh, I think the Big Ten is going to have SEC power rankings, but also SEC problems. Like they're going to beat each other up. Like you look at USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon. That's a good infusion of juice. But then you've got Penn State, you got Wisconsin, you got Michigan. You've got a lot of guys who are going to beat each other up. Consequently, I'm going to look at the middle. I think Mike framed up the SEC, you know, head to head pretty well there. But I'm going to look at the middle of the SEC where you're going to have – look at Ole Miss's schedule, man. I think they win 10 games. Look at Missouri's schedule. I think they win nine or 10 games. And those are traditional, like, off the beat, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams in kind of the middle road of the SEC. And those guys are going to have LSU win type totals and everything else like that. I think the differences in the leagues will kind of come down to how bad Florida is going to be and how much better Auburn is going to be because those seven, eight, nine, ten teams in the conference, they're going to have to look a lot better and play a lot better. I mean, if you put them in a round robin like they do in basketball, I'd love to see something like that. The big, t- the big 22 or whatever it is now, SEC Challenge, I think the SEC would still come out on top with more wins just because of – the amount of resources that are stacked up at, in each conference at each team in this conference. Connor, let me bring you in on this because while I'll, there's no bigger SEC homer than I am, I, I truly believe it's the most fun league to watch, but also the league that has the better overall players and certainly the better overall competition. And that said, you know, the the recent actions of the Big Ten, I, I do take it seriously. This league is great at generating revenue. I, I don't want the SEC to be a national conference, but if the Big Ten does, it's fairly – formidable from a challenger standpoint to go out and bring four Pacific time zone teams in the way the league has. Michigan did win the national championship. You know, Ohio State certainly seems to have a level of motivation that kind of feels very SEC-like right now because they want to respond to their rival. Uh, you know, the fact that their rival did win the national championship. You know, I do think the Big Ten has to be taken seriously in a way like, say, the ACC or the Big 12 simply don't have to be. Uh, where do you kind of compare these two league rivals here right now? Yeah, I think they're, they, for the past decade in a 14 playoff, there's been talk of a power five and a group of five. Uh, I think right now we're in an era where it's a power two and there's everyone else. Uh, I, I think uh, these programs are going to compete and these conferences are going to compete for top players. I think the additions of Oregon, USC, Washington, and we'll see what happens with UCLA, I do think helps beef up the Big Ten a little bit because in my mind it has been a conference of really two teams for the past five years, and then there's maybe a drop-off there in that middle tier, as has been pointed out. Uh, I think you know this bowl season showed with uh, Ole Miss and Missouri both beating Big Ten teams in, power, or in uh, New Year's Six bowl games. I think shows some things, though those I would say uh, Ole Miss and Missouri were perhaps a little bit more motivated to play in those games. And I don't take everything away from bowl games, but I I do think that going into this season, I think it's a power two with the Big Ten and the SEC. And then it's really everyone else. And so it's going to be interesting seeing how the Clemson's, Utah's, Arizona's, Florida State's of the world try and keep up when the Big Ten and the SEC generate so much more revenue. And I think that just naturally opens up more doors to other opportunities that those programs are afforded. And Mike, I'll give you uh, one final thought on all of this, is that I think the one thing in 2024 that people aren't fully considering yet 
is the presence of home playoff games and how that's going to change a little bit of the way we perceive the sport, specifically with the notion that you know college football has never really been a cold-weather sport before. Our season, for the most part, ends before it gets really, really cold, even up in the uh, northern part of the country. But as the playoff stretches longer and as the games are played later, and by the way, Big Ten teams have the chance to now host some of these games, I think the presence of cold-weather games in a college football playoff time of the year – I think that could be a really big deal if the Big Ten's in a situation where it gets a chance to host some of those games. And so as we get into like the playoff discussion this upcoming year, not just who makes the playoff, but who's hosting games and who's going on the road and kind of what that means for a sport introducing cold weather into the discussion for very late playoff games starting to move forward. I think that could be a really interesting part of the SEC Big Ten comparison moving forward as well. Yeah, I think there's a couple examples of, of where that could happen. Um, I think some programs in the North may may play that card, so to speak. But I also think some of those programs may elect to play their quote-unquote home games in a dome stadium. For example, uh, Michigan, Michigan State could play at Ford Field. I wonder if Ohio State might opt to play in Indianapolis indoors. Um, they do have that option of determining where their quote-unquote home field is. And, and, and not only do that, you know, because they're – built for warmer weather like Ohio State, which can't seem to beat Michigan in any weather colder than 40 degrees of late or 50 degrees or whatever it is. These teams are built to win championships and they're built with speed. You know, I think the whole three yards and a cloud of dust is is sort of out the window. Now, if Wisconsin gets a chance to, I would say host Florida, but Florida is not going to be competitive for a while. So we'll leave them out, Brandon. I know that breaks your heart. <laughs> but let's say Wisconsin had a chance to host Florida State. I would dare say they would be more comfortable playing the Seminoles outside in December than they would opting to move that game um, anywhere indoors. Although I'm trying to think maybe uh, I don't, I think Minneapolis would be a stretch, but, but Wisconsin might be a team that would play a cold weather game. I think there's certain opportunities where they would take advantage of that. But to me that the almighty gate is important and nobody wants to sit in uh, zero degree weather. I mean, you saw Michigan state uh, opt to move their game to a neutral site We'll leave the neutral site conversation for another day, but they opted to move their game with Penn State to Ford Field. They did that for a couple of reasons. One was recruiting. They wanted to have some recruits in and they felt more recruits would come inside to an indoor building in Detroit. And two, um, because they'd rather have more people at the game. And not a lot of people want to sit outside in East Lansing in November uh, in cold, freezing rain. So uh, I do think that the home field stadium is is fascinating. I think it's going to play out uh, awesome in the SEC and in warmer parts of the country. But in other parts where it's colder, inclement weather, uh, I wonder who and when will move their designated home game to an indoor stadium. Topic number three, and obviously in kind of a roundtable fashion here with a little bit of a look ahead uh, bent to it, we're looking at the class of 2025 and the recruiting battles to be waged. Jeff, of all the names that you and I mentioned when you're on Dog Nation Daily and the uh, discussions that are ongoing on your program before the hedge is presented by Kroger and, of course, every other, what do you think the most important recruiting battle for the class of 2025 is for Georgia? It's the offensive tackle position. It's the offensive line. I think Georgia got a great baseline level of, like, third round, fourth round, all SEC-type offensive linemen in the 2024 class. This season, this cycle is big game hunting for the guys that look like, you know, the way Broderick Jones looked when he came out in 2000. The guy that you can point to and you can say, you can get him with a good offensive line coach in college and he's going to go, he's going to be a first rounder. Uh, I think Georgia and Clemson are going to go head to head with a lot of those guys. David Sanders Jr. I think is the most magnified uh, 
prospect, not just because he's the number one OT and not just because he's highly rated as a top two, top three overall recruit by everybody, but I think there's going to be a real battle there. I get the sense that it's Clemson, it's Georgia, little bit of Tennessee, little bit of Ohio State, and then you're going to have the confluence of factors. You're going to have NIL, you're going to have outside NIL, collective measures and things like that. I think that's going to be really important for Sanders because Sanders, my friends, he is a great, I mean, I say this all the time, but I look at him with more scouting upside than I did a guy like Trayvon Walker, because I think, I think David could be a, a first round offensive tackle provided he puts on 30, 35 pounds, 40 pounds. I think he can do that with the great strength and nutrition staff. I think he could be a five-star defensive end, kind of like Trayvon Walker was as well. Very rare do you see that type of skill set in one player. I think offensive line battles are great. Georgia's going to have to fight off Clemson for Mason Short. Uh, they're going to have to fight off a lot of a lot of schools from coming in-state to take Juan Gaston Jr. I think the offensive line kind of futures. You remember a few years ago, Brandon, and guys, when Georgia got Tate Ratledge in the 2000 class, Cedric Von Prawn Granger in the 2000 class, Broderick Jones in the 2000 class. They got a lot of multi-year starters there, guys that will play a lot of great football for Georgia. And that's what they're going to try to do in this class. I mean, I could beat the drum about receivers. We know the, the receivers these days are NIL recruitments. We can talk about quarterback Juju Lewis and Julian Lewis and how if Georgia can flip him from USC and maybe Georgia is the odds-on favorite if any school is to flip him right now, you can certainly say that as well. But for me, Georgia football fundamentally is still lines of scrimmage. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the line of scrimmage thought pattern you got to think about as well is Georgia currently stands pretty well. They have a commitment from the number two defensive lineman in the country. They are trending. A lot of speculation, a lot of that favorite online chatter. Brandon, they have a great shot to also sign Elijah Griffin as well. And that would be the number one and number two defensive lineman in the country. Georgia's never done that. Nobody's ever done that. And that would also be key. So, Connor, you hear Jeff right there say that he thinks the most important recruiting battle is what takes place along the offensive line at offensive tackle in particular. Do you agree with Jeff? That's the position to note? No. Um, Georgia's going to be able to recruit well on the offensive line consistently. And, and Jeff makes excellent points. Uh, it, for me, it's wide receiver. It, 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 when you look at that position compared to the rest of the roster, Georgia has been unable to recruit that position at a similar level compared to the rest of the team. And I think Brian McClendon is a very good wide receiver coach. You look at the, the job that, uh, Lad McConkie has had in his development. You look at the job Marcus Rose, Jack Saint has had in his development, Georgia has no problem developing receivers, but and I understand that NIL plays a factor in this and that Georgia isn't going to, quote unquote, break the bank with some of these things. But if Georgia continues to fall behind, in my opinion, as I think they already have at the wide receiver position in comparison to some of the other elite programs, it's going to become hard for them to win those big time games. I think the lack of a, 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 an elite wide receiver in that game against uh, Alabama, as Mike point out, hurt Georgia in, in that standpoint. And like Dylan Bell's developed into a fantastic receiver. But a guy like Travis Smith from Westlake is someone that, in my opinion, Georgia absolutely needs to land in this class because he has been to this point, I think, receptive to what Georgia's pitch has been. And we'll see, you know, how much NIL becomes a factor in that there. When Georgia has someone like Travis Smith in their backyard and someone who they have put in a lot of work in on the front end, 
I, they, in my opinion, have to go out and land him because I think they've shown they're not going to go land, you know, five-star players like they have consistently at the offensive line position, specifically offensive tackle, on the defensive line, at inside linebacker, cornerback there as well. I think at that wide receiver position, Travis Smith, in my mind, if Georgia's able to go in and land him an extremely talented player, I think that's a sign to go in the right direction because wide receiver recruiting, it's not just a Brian McClendon issue. This has been an issue that has plagued Georgia across the entirety of Kirby Smart's time in Georgia. And so I think it's something that, you know, again, you're not going to win every battle. And I understand that, but you need to win enough. And I think Travis Smith in this class represents that. Mike, I would ask you, Jeff mentions offensive line, Connor mentions wide receiver. If I were to answer my own question, I would mention defensive line. That was an area in which I think that Georgia needs great improvement based on the way the the the, the production worked out in 2023. But no one's mentioning Julian Lewis, the uh, five-star quarterback recently classified yeah. to the class of 2025. Are you surprised that Lewis's name hasn't come up in this conversation yet? I am, but you just brought it up, so you stole my thunder. Um, absolutely. It starts with the quarterback. Uh, you know, Carson Beck was not able to put Georgia on his shoulders in the SEC championship game. When all the parts around him failed, Carson couldn't do anything. He scrambled a couple times, but he didn't make the plays that needed to be made to win games. And unfortunately, when you have that style of quarterback, that's what you're limited to. Stetson Bennett, for all his critics at times, myself included, was able to make game-changing plays, um, was able to run for pivotal first downs. And even, you know, while I said I didn't think he was one of the top five players on the team that particular year, either year, he was integral to Georgia winning a national championship. He was part of that equation, and that's why Kirby Smart loves playmaking quarterbacks because he understands the frustration of a defense when you can do everything right but a quarterback can still beat you. We saw Jalen Milrow do that at times. Now, that was a little offset by Jalen Milrow's mistakes at times as well, um, but certainly having a dual-threat quarterback, uh, having a playmaking quarterback, having a great quarterback, I think it solves a lot of problems. And I, I get what Jeff's saying uh, about it all starts up front. We know that. Um, but I agree with Connor. I mean, I, I think Georgia's got so much momentum built it is, it is tremendous in the trenches. I, I think it takes care of itself uh, because of the coaching that you have, because of the reputation that you have, because of the recruiting base you have in the state of Georgia. I think there's a lot of great high school coaches and a lot of great talent is developed here. And I think there's a lot more of those big uglies than there are those handful of quarterbacks that can make plays, which in turn helps take care of the problem that Connor talks about, which is the issue of receivers. Now, part of that, too, is Bloody Tuesday. These guys don't want to get the hell beat out of them at Georgia playing receiver. It is what it is. Now, Kirby will tell you, iron sharpens iron. This is part of what makes him special. Great. But a lot of these five-star types, they don't want to sign up for that. They're not coming here to block. They're not coming here to have physical practices twice a week. They'd rather go somewhere else where it's a lot easier on their body. They can put up a lot better stats, and thank you very much. Now, to me, it's 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 kind of a, a twofold situation. One, I think Kirby is going to adjust to this, right? Now that guys can transfer every year, you lost in a Donnie Mitchell, okay? I think you lost a title when he walked out the door. Because I think if you had a Donnie, you win last year's national title. I think it's that simple. He was amazing. He was a difference maker last year. He was a difference maker for Texas when they beat Alabama. He'd have been a difference maker this year. 
I think that Georgia does need better receivers. I think Georgia does have to have a great offensive line. But I think with Carson Beck moving on to the NFL, you need to have another great quarterback. No offense, Gunnar Stockton, but people aren't doing backflips talking about wanting to play with him. He had great momentum coming out, but they're already talking about adding another junior quarterback, junior college quarterback right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see how P Ryan Puglisi comes along. Um, to, maybe he develops into that guy. We haven't seen Georgia be that place where that fantastic five-star freshman can come in and make an immediate impact. I suppose, uh, you know, there was a lot of hype about Justin Fields maybe doing that. Um, I would argue this. Uh, we could talk about uh, Julian Lewis, the, the guy that reclassified from Carrollton. I think the recruiting key is through the portal. I don't think that guy's a high school guy that we're talking about in recruiting. I think we're talking about the next great quarterback Georgia can get out of the portal that comes in ready to play right now. That's that difference maker that comes through the door. Maybe had JT Daniels knee been healthy. I don't know. He wasn't ready for the start of 2020. He wasn't even ready at the end of the season. And then the 2021 season, he had a flak jacket on in the first game. We never really got to see the real JT Daniels. Maybe next time you get a healthy guy that when he steps on campus, he's ready to play and Kirby gets what he thought he was getting in JT, which is a healthy difference maker quarterback that can lead Georgia to another national title, which by the way, I do think Carson Beck can do that next year, but after Carson leaves, I'm not convinced you've got a national championship quarterback on your roster. Behind him. Jack, you, uh, Jeff, you got a quick final point you wanted to make on this topic. Uh, Jeff, go ahead and finish off on this. Yeah. Great points from everybody. I would remind my colleagues that the wide receiver recruiting portion for Georgia is in the transfer portal season. That's when Georgia goes and gets their guys the other thing about quarterbacks, these are good points, but Kirby Smart has a type. If we haven't noticed it now, look at Jake Fromm. That's how he held off Justin Fields. Kirby Smart was familiar. He had went through an onboarding phase with all of his quarterbacks. Look at Stetson Bennett. Look at Carson Beck. I mean, you're going to project that there's at least two years of programming, scout team, practice field, getting berated by the microphone during practices. That's what Georgia looks for. I mean, if Georgia could bring in a future Jaden Daniels or a future Caleb Williams, and Kirby would be a little nervy need about throwing that guy out there because he hasn't went through the culture at Georgia. All right, we're going to uh, have another uh, topic to close things out here in a moment. Let me remind folks, though, as well, it'll be kind of our version of transferring into cruise, uh, cruising, or speaking of transferring, uh, transitioning into cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And all of this conversation that we're having right now, a big part of our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April there, too. And there is still time for you to join us there on that. Jessica Slater, great travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. She wants to give you a chance to do that. By the way, you see Crown's Edge uh, right there on Icon of the Seas if you're watching on video. I did that. I, I was brave enough to get that done. I was actually pretty pretty proud of myself for doing it. That was a lot of fun. It's a part of all of the family-friendly fun that Royal Caribbean has, a part of all of its cruise vacations, including Allure of the Seas coming out with us in April. So Jessica Slater is a great travel agent. She can tell you all about it. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com. Just tell her, I want to be with BA. I want to be with Mike. I want to be with Jeff. I want to be with the Dog Nation team on board Allure of the Seas in April. And Jessica Slater is going to help you get that done. RoyalDogs.com, also a website that she's got put together. Dog Nation crew is going to be here before you know it. It's your time to be a part of it. We cannot wait to see you there. All right, final topic for today. We're going to try to keep this quick here. That's the uh, thought anyway. 
FanDuel has recently come out with its over-unders for all for a lot of college football teams. We're going to focus on the SEC. A handful of these over the course of the next few days. Here's what I'm going to do. This is not – you are not held to your answer. This is an early lean. You are not going to be required to necessarily defend this in court. But I do want to hear from you. I'm going to give you the team. I'm going to give you the number. Give me your answer. And just give me sort of a quick – explanation as to why going to start with Alabama who's over under for the upcoming season is lower than we've seen it be since any year since 2016 some of this is related to the uh, retirement of Nick Saban some of this is related to a tough road schedule that includes games at Wisconsin at Tennessee at LSU also at Oklahoma the number is nine and a half early lean from you Connor on uh, Alabama you like them over or under nine and a half this is obviously regular season only I'm going to take under. I think they go nine and three. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, that road schedule is tough. Trips to Tennessee and LSU, I think they split those. I think it's going to come down to, you know, can they beat Georgia at home? Uh, they've had success doing that. And then also that Oklahoma-Auburn tilt to end the season. They're at Oklahoma in the next to last game. And then they're home for Auburn. Auburn has to beat Alabama under Hugh Freeze. And, and so – even with that game being played at Brian Denny, where Auburn hasn't had a lot of success of late, I think those two games to end the season early and swing it. I'm going to take the under. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they find a way to go 10-2. and two. And I think with their schedule, I could very well see Alabama making the playoff at 9-3. and three. Mike, over under 9.5 for Alabama for you early lane. Well, the last person out of Tuscaloosa, please turn out the lights. I, I'm taking the under. Hey, Ryan, uh, you know, the grub has left. Uh, Greg Byrne with a terrible miscalculation on this hire, hired a guy that can't keep his staff together. Um, Alabama's lost its luster uh, seemingly overnight. Nick Saban leaves. Then uh, They don't have the next coach in waiting ready. Um, they miss on a primary target. They settle for another coach who's claimed to fame as winning 67 games in an NIA NAIA league and coaching a couple of years with Michael Penix. I, and, and, and nobody wants to stick with him. He lost his offensive coordinator. Uh, he lost his offensive line coach. Uh, they've faced in they've faced in allegations of tampering. Um, they've uh, held coaches out to the last minute to limit transfers. The Alabama reputation has quickly gone down the tubes. Frankly, I don't think it could have gone much worse the first 30 days of Kalen DeBoer. I, I don't know why I think that would turn around. Um, it's going to be, it was a challenge for them to have Jalen Milrow ready for this year, uh, even though he'd been in the program for three years. Uh, I don't care how they spin it. Um, they lost at home to Texas by 10 points because they were out coached and their quarterback got outplayed. Uh, I don't know why I think uh, that DeBoer will do any better than Nick Saban did. So I'm going to take the under. Jeff, how about you? Nine and a half early lean over under for Alabama. So I'll admit this diabolical what's happened with Alabama. I know a lot of high school programs that are slightly steamed about what's been happening here with waiting and delaying these decisions. <clears throat> Part of me really wants to say over because Alabama has more talent than anybody that they will see on this schedule, except for maybe two teams. But the thing is, losing that continuity, losing all those coaches makes me go under. I would also lean under there as well. A lot of this is related to what I mentioned before. That's a lot of tough road games. I mean, you know, none of them are unwinnable, but uh, kind of piling up a little bit for a first-year head coach. My lean for now would be to the under. Same total for LSU at 9.5. This interesting here because if you look at the LSU schedule overall, 
a little more manageable than some of these SEC teams perhaps would be. LSU's also been pretty aggressive with its defensive coaching hires thus far during the offseason, spending big on Blake Baker, bringing Bo Davis back to the SEC, bring Corey Raymond uh, back to LSU in particular, and a guy that I spent a lot of last season hyping up, Garrett Nussmeyer, finally gets his chance to show what he's about at quarterback. Uh, how about you, Connor, early lean on LSU at a win total of nine and a half? I'm going to take under there as well, uh, because after hearing everyone else on this panel take the under with Alabama, I'm going to take the over there. Uh, I'm going to change my pick. So give me over on Alabama at 10 now and give me under it at LSU at nine because of it. Connor playing this like it's a a go with the flow here. Uh, Mike, how about for you? Early lean. This is not we're not on the record here. This is not going to be a social media graphic. This is just, you know, uh, just just friends talking for now. Early lean on LSU nine and a half. Yeah, interesting schedule for LSU with USC and UCLA. You don't usually see those two teams in a non-conference pairing, but I think LSU wins both of them. Uh, you know, you go down the schedule, Alabama, Old Miss, Texas A&M, Oklahoma. Used to say Florida was a tough game, but now it's a W. Arkansas, South Carolina, manageable. Uh, losses to, I would say they split the Alabama, Old Miss. Uh, that's a split to me. And then maybe they lose another one along the way. That's 10 wins. And Brian Kelly, I'm going to take the over. Yeah, I like the over on LSU here, too, partially because I do think Nussmeier's a good quarterback. I do like the coaching hires they've made defensively. I hyped him up last year, so I don't have a ton of, I guess, credibility to kind of do that again. I'm not going to pick them to win the national championship, but I do believe they're probably being under-discussed compared to you know, some of the other teams in the SEC that are perhaps currently getting more attention. Jeff, how about for you, over, under, 9.5 early lean on LSU? Yeah, I'd go over. I'm getting a little choked up here. I liked your remark about uh, Connor. It did feel like uh, he was channeling his cover four by by looking at the cars in front of him and zigging and zagging wherever, what, depending on what they're doing. I think LSU has to be better. I think there's a lot of a lot of easy wins. Mike just you know went blow by blow down the schedule. I think that I think they'll they'll probably beat one of those teams in the in the block of Ole Miss and Alabama. That's how I think they get over ten. All right, final team for today. It's Florida and over under at FanDuel of five and a half here right now. And I got to read this to y'all. From November 2nd through the end of the season, this is the November schedule that Florida's playing. It's Georgia neutral at Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, then at Florida State. I honestly don't think any team's ever had a month like that ever. Now, there's also a chance that some of that doesn't feel quite the same now as it appears to, uh, or should say, doesn't feel the same then as it appears to on paper here right now. That's the toughest month of a schedule I think I've ever seen any team perhaps play on paper. I'm an easy under on this at five and a half, whether that's sucker bet or not. Connor, how about for you? Early lean Florida five and a half. Yeah, I'm going to take the under there, not just because Florida's, I think, recruiting class kind of fell apart a bit at the end there. I know they keep DJ Lagway, they keep LJ McCray, but it's not just that tough stretch after the bye week. They play 11 Power 5 teams on their schedule this year. Every Power and, and, 5 team in their whole, in their own state, by the way, too. Yeah, it, it, there are literally no breaks in this schedule. And so, uh, you know, you hope with a third year of continuity, Billy Napier takes steps forward. But I just don't think we've seen that. And you saw them go backwards in year two. And I don't know, looking at this schedule, that you see – steps of encouragement moving forward. There's going to be a lot on the plate of Graham Mertz. And if Florida struggles early, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of calls to turn to DJ Lagway, but 
with what they close with, I don't know if that's the kind of stretch you want to introduce a young quarterback to. Yeah, especially if you have an interim coach during that period of time. That's no fun at all. Uh, Mike, how about for you, over, under, five and a half for Florida, early lean? You know, it really comes down to that opener. Uh, looking at the schedule, they play Miami at home. Uh, it, it, that should be a winnable game, I guess. I Miami's kind of one of those Jekyll and Hyde teams. But after that, okay, you got the win over Sanford. That's next. They got Texas A&M at home. I, I think they could beat them. That's two. At Mississippi State, that's certainly a win, I would think. I mean, three. Uh, home against UCF is four. So if they, if they beat Miami, uh, that's five. And then they would have to win at home against Kentucky. That'd be six, right? So to me, that that Miami uh, home game and the Kentucky home game, do we think they could sweep those two? Because uh, I'm with you. After that, they don't win another game. They don't beat Georgia, Texas, LSU, Old Miss, or Florida State. Um, it's a tough bet. Um, I think it comes down to Miami uh, in in the real world. I would I would pass on this. It's that close um, for the sake of this panel, this discussion at this time. Um, I'll, I'll pull a Connor Riley. Uh, I'll take the over just because I think Jeff's going to go under as well. Uh, by the way, I think that UCF is a better team with a better coach right now. Uh, so I would I would be careful about giving that an automatic win. And in the case of Miami, I'm not 100% sure about this. I believe they have the highest projected total in the ACC for this upcoming season. So uh, a little bit of love here thus far for the Hurricanes, uh, perhaps surprisingly. Uh, but Jeff, how about for you? Uh, five and a half for Florida, your early lean there. Yeah, I think five's the key number. Like, uh, you hit on Miami. Like, Miami futures have to be strong this year. They've built for the offensive line and the trenches. If they're ever going to be good up front, it needs to be this year. But I think I think Florida – I think those – if there was a Florida Apologist Daily program right now, they'd be saying, you know, hey, can we get any credit for that orange and blue game? Can we get a win right there? Because I look at them, they could very well go 5-0 and and then lose the last seven games of their schedule. Here's a point that I want to bring up. Florida might be good enough to win those first five games, but when they get to Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, LSU, they're going to be so bludgeoned and beat up that they're going to be going on second and third team personnel in a lot of spots. And where they had a shot, they will have no shot. It's not just the teams. It's not just the power ratings. It's the murderer's row they're going to finish out with that's going to deplete their roster where they might have had a fighting chance against some of those teams, a Kentucky, a Tennessee, maybe even a Florida State, but they won't after they get through that gauntlet. Gentlemen, I'm going under. They, very good, Jeff. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Fascinating conversation. In fact, it's so good. We'll come back and do it again tomorrow on a completely different set of topics. Really love having you here for our very first ever Dog Nation Roundtable as a part of Dog Nation Daily here today. Yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I really, really like our Dog Nation Roundtable, and I like the way that we're concluding this with those over-unders, those win total projections for the other SEC teams. We're going to do a good bit of that as it relates to Georgia on Thursday. But I think kind of just sort of springing that, and as I said before, you know, this is not your sort of full and final opinion. Even for those of you kind of play along as you're listening with your own opinions there, we reserve the right to change our mind. Mark Schlebaugh from ESPN.com came out the other day with sort of a new way too early top 25. ESPN will update that thing four times between now and the fall. We'll do the same thing. There's going to be player movement in the spring. There are going to be injuries. There are going to be just changes in opinion. And so some of this stuff will perhaps change. But what's the snapshot of how it looks right now? I think that's really important. That's good stuff there. Let me tell you what else is good. How about a Gator hater updater? It's now been 1,201 days 
since Florida's beaten Georgia. We love that, and we'll see you tomorrow right back here on Dog Nation Daily.